the following program may contain adult situations and language that may be unsuitable for younger listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Live from the RTDS studios, this is Chuck's World of Infinite Mojo, proudly sponsored by National Fitness Training, with your host, Chuck Basti. Chuck's personal mission is to introduce the world to the people that motivate him on his inspirational journey into his world of infinite mojo. Here's your host, Chuck Basti. Sunset from Air Supply. You're listening to Chuck's World of Infinite Mojo on Listen Up Talk Radio and Radio That Doesn't Suck. This week, special guest Graham Russell, the uh, principal songwriter for Air Supply and one of the vocalists. He joined us, uh, joined Chuck Basti and myself a few weeks back when we were at uh, Falls View Casino to uh, interview them and catch their show, an amazing show. Sunset is one of the tracks that is featured in Chuck Basti's novel, Journey of a Lifetime and has very significant meaning to both himself and Graham Russell, as you'll hear. This is part one of the interview. Part two will air next week, so uh, tune in for both of those. And you'll be hearing more of this song later in the show. Welcome back to Chuck's World of Infinite Mojo on Listen Up Talk Radio and Radio That Doesn't Suck. Coming to you live from Sparky's Room, which is the going to be the new show name Hot spot. from the Fallsview Casino in Niagara Falls, Ontario, and uh, in some great company today with uh, Graham Russell of Air Supply, of course, your host, Chuck Basti. We're sitting in our room with Graham Russell from Air Supply. <laughs> <laughs> we are. Don't forget Sparky. And Sparky's here. This is Sparky's room, so we have to give him his due. His props. Sparky, say hello to the, to the listeners. Hello, everyone. <laughs> Graham, welcome to uh, Chuck's World of Infinite Mojo. It's my great pleasure to have you on as my guest today. Uh, we're in Falls View Casino here today for the first um, show of your two-set series here in Niagara Falls. So, A, welcome to Canada. Thank you to very our, much. Nice to, to be here. native land as well. Um, what I really wanted to ask you is you've been doing this for so long. Mm. Um, you've been through a million interviews. Um, for me, the one thing that comes to mind when I think of air supply is I, I remember going back as a kid uh, listening to you on cassette tape and you know, spinning the old 45 records and the 33s and, and uh, the vinyls and wondering if I'd ever find love because I'd be listening to these Air Supply songs, just thinking, and I'd be crying myself to sleep at night, thinking to myself, these songs are just so beautiful, I just don't have anyone to share them with. Right now, I was 15 years old or whatever. So was I. Yeah. Maybe a couple years older. A couple years older, yeah. But for the most part, you know, I grew up with your with your sound and your songwriting and your music, mm. which just really inspired us to, um, to be musicians ourselves. Also, to um, I've written a book, and uh, I've taken 13 songs and chosen one of your songs, right. uh, Sunset. 
mindset in the book. So uh, I just wanted to thank you for writing that song. And for oh, you're very welcome, of course. <laughs> it's one of my favorite songs, but it's a song that's, uh, that not a lot of people are, might not be aware of. And why is that, do you think? Uh, because most people gravitate towards the this, this stuff that's played on the radio, to the singles, and, and, that, and that's fair enough, you know. But we used to play Sunset Live, actually. We played it for a couple of years in the show. Any chance you're playing it tonight? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no unplugged version? No. Well, no, because we our show is kind of set. You know, well, it's not set, but we know what we're doing tonight, and yeah. we have to... No sense taking chances. That's yeah. another song. That's Last another minute. song. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't even know what, that, what our time is tonight. The time's always different. We're do, we'll do the full one tonight. Full show, yeah. But no, we can't do it tonight because uh, it would have to be programmed for the for lights and everything. But once, you know, if we do a song, uh, I mean, this is not really an obscure song. It's actually one of Russell's favorites too. Uh, but if you do a song like this, you have to, uh, we've got to pull something else out. Yeah. Know, because of our time. There might be a riot if we did that. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> else. Russell wouldn't like that. He doesn't like any surprises. No. Yeah. no We're not playing Lost in Love tonight to play this obscure yeah. song. <laughs> The there would be a riot. We'd yes. get lynched if we did that. Listen, I wanted to talk to you about, um, you know, 40 years ago when you started on this journey. Uh, mm. I always have this question. I, I say it's a time machine question. Mm. So I understand that you've um, went to Cuba and played to 175,000 people in mm. one concert, which to me is ridiculous. I can't even imagine. It's like two English football stadiums oh, yeah. of people listening to your music. Mm. Uh, non Not English-speaking people. Right. And yet, you know, when you were writing these songs 35, 40 years ago, if you could go back in a time machine now mm. and talk to yourself back then and say, while you were at your desk with your guitar in hand, mm. you know, penning the song, that you could say, listen, keep writing because you're going to sing this in front of 175,000 people mm. in 10 years if you just stick with this. Right. <laughs> Would that have made sense to you back then? Um, well, I, it wouldn't have been good if you had that... Uh, have happened because I think you have to go through a lot of trials and tribulations through your career, you know, to get to where you end up at. And uh, and even though I think that song's like 20 years old, uh, it, I wouldn't have gone through all those changes, you know, and all the dramas and all the the heartbreaks and the highs and the lows to get to where I am now. Do you know what I mean? Uh, absolutely, I know exactly. What, I'm doing that right now with the book, Graham. <laughs> yeah. I actually had to have my ninth concussion to write that book. Oh, really? Yeah, I'll bet, yeah. And I couldn't have written it without uh, my girlfriend, Celia. And, uh, you know, this is a, a book walking through the final five minutes of your life. And mm. had I not gone through some dark spots, just like what you're saying, when, mm. you're, when you're songwriting, you write from the heart of... You know, writers write from what they know, with songwriters as well. Like you mm. write from your experience and how you're feeling and yeah. how you're connected. So, talk a little bit how you wrote Sunset. Uh, well, Sunset was written for my mother, who died when I was ten. Wow! And that, and which was a, it's peanut butter jelly time. That Sparky's phone going off for you. For yeah, I wrote. I wrote. I didn't write that song. After, I mean, I that song's twenty years old. So I wrote it. What is it really now? Ninety-three or something. Mm. But I just. Um, I just felt the song coming on, and and I thought, yeah, this is this is going to be just for my mother, you know. But I've written several songs for her, but this is the the song. The quintessential. Yeah, and it's just about you know the, the sunset is not specifically a, sun, a physical sunset. It's like the closing of one chapter. chapter, and then the sunrise will come tomorrow. But when you're looking at the sunset, you don't believe that. Yeah. You know. Watching the sunset so low. Tells us that it's time 
stand out are even rarer but, but they're the things that you write about yeah you know like being together and uh, and when you reminisce and you think about the times you had together uh, it becomes a very uh, emotional place well for me it does anyway absolutely yeah. you know I think that's connectable I think everybody can really relate to that and you know it's funny I always say when I write something people can take it the way they're gonna take it but mm. also with your songs yeah you know when you write them you know you just said right now the sunset's more an emotional sunset of chapter beginning mm. and a new chapter starting after one's ended uh, and I just thought it was the sunset yeah yeah I listen to it with you know songs for me uh, the, you have to dive in head first, uh, and that, I learned that very early, very early on in, in my songwriting life, if you like. Uh, you can't give a piece a piece of you without giving all of all of yourself. Otherwise, the song's not going to be any good. Yeah. You've got to go in, and you've got to be prepared to be ridiculed as well. You know, I mean, if I have uh, even now when we have, and we happened is uh, two days ago, we we're in the studio with a brand new song, and nobody had heard it. Uh, but it's up to me to to say, okay, guys, we're going to record a song, and everybody was ready to to record, uh, and then they learn the song. But for like an hour or so, you're in no man's land with the kind song, of feeling it out. Yeah. yeah, and I'm sitting back there again. Well, I know where it needs to go, and I know what I want to hear, 
but the, the guys have to find it themselves, you know. I don't want to say, well, you play this here and play that there. I want them to find it, you know. And it takes about an hour, an hour and a half. Then suddenly you come out of the woods and the song starts to breathe. And it's a, a beautiful uh, experience, that is, you know, watching it come out and start to, like a little seed, then it starts to flower. And then every, all the guys will say, wow, this is really cool. It. Yeah, and I'll go, yeah, it is cool. Now it's cool. Is yeah. that the moment that they emotionally invest? Exactly, yeah. they, yes, it is. It is, yeah. Dial in. It's when they, st yeah, they stop playing the parts and they start living it. You know, and the they, they become a part of the song. Yeah. It's not, you know, it's not like reading everything from a chart. I mean, when we do a new song, they all, you know, I'll write a really rough chart and it's really rough. And they'll look at it and go, wow, this looks a bit strange. And we, we just got to start playing it and playing it. And then, like I said, about 90 minutes later, it comes out of the woods and, and it starts to be really cool. So I want to go back to what you said. You touched upon, you know, the trials and tribulations that you have to go through as a songwriter, as an artist, as a performance, as a man mm. uh, to get to that point. So. You guys had a really long run mm. uh, from 75 to, to 1980 before mm. you guys really started to get mainstream and get your number one yeah. hits and that yeah. sort of thing. In your mind right now, looking back at it, what was the real, you know, the turning point in your evolution as a songwriter, as a performer, as a man, mm. that you could actually be vulnerable mm. and actually write from the heart and have it stick so that way, you know, 40 years later, we're singing mm. your love songs. Right. Still love we're still, yeah, word for we're word. still dial in. Yeah. Even people who don't know the, the name Air Supply, you mm. know, Generation Y, mm. uh, when you start singing the songs, they're like, oh yeah, I know that I song. Know I that. totally know that mm. song. And you wrote these songs, but mm. what was what was your turning point where you had to bust through that wall to get right. to the goal on the other side? It came very early for me because uh, we were talking about Sunset when I lost my mother when I was 10. And that changed my whole life. Not just changed it, it I became a different person. Because I was only 10 years old and I didn't understand what had happened. Mm. And I didn't speak to anyone for three months, nobody, because I was in complete shock and denial. And what I used to do, uh, I mean, I became really sad, uh, obviously. And uh, I used to have a, a board around my, like a legal pad on a, on a that a director has, you know, around their neck. Yeah. And if somebody came up to speak to me, yeah, I would write something down on on the board. If they I'm said, sad. "Hello, yeah, how are you?" and I'd and I'd write, uh, "Okay, you know." Wow. And I wouldn't speak. And gradually, I started to come out of it a little more. And uh, and I used to write more. And if they say, "Oh, what's going? How are you today? Are you ready for school?" And I'd start to say things like. Um, I'm, I'm not quite ready, I'll be ready soon. Uh, I'll be ready in an hour, but it'll be before noon. Yeah. Oh, I, I used to start, I started, my replies became verse, and I found a lot of fun in that. But, but it was a sign that I was coming out of it. And so consequently, I, I started writing, everything was in verse for me. Uh, but what that gave me was, uh, it gave me a great appreciation of poetry which I wasn't writing then, but then I thought, oh, I, I love the verse thing. So you I did the platform to start with. Yeah, and I started to read poetry and, and I got really into English literature. And then of course, after three months, I started to speak again. Uh, but I, I used to, I continued writing verse and, uh, and I read everything I could, you know, I read Shakespeare, everything, all the poets, and so poetry became my life. So how old were you when you first started writing songs? I was 10 years old. Like right away at 10 years old? Yeah, you I was. Playing guitar at the time? Yeah, 
Yeah. You found a left-handed guitar that you could actually. Well, play. no, I I didn't know it was. I was playing it left-handed. I used to borrow one because I didn't have any money. Yeah. And my family didn't. I used to borrow one from a friend across the street, and uh, I have to give it him back every couple of days because he he was a working musician. And but I when I when he gave it to me instead of doing it like that, I took it like this. You Paul McCartney, yeah. The same thing, yeah. yeah. But I didn't swap the strings because I didn't know you could do that. So, so you learned it to play, you played it like a left-handed guitar, yeah. right-handed. And I still play that way. You still play that way? Yeah, I do, yeah. It's too late for me now to play the other <laughs> way. It would be too slow, you know. Yeah. I'd, I'd have to learn from the Flipping beginning. Yeah. So, so I play that way, but what what I didn't realize then was that it gave me a unique sound because yeah. you know the 12 string is predominantly my the, my main instrument yeah. but when I play it upside down it's a different sound absolutely it's completely thicker strings different. first yeah, thicker strings, first. Yeah. Wasn't thicker strings. Yeah. Yeah. so it gives it and that consequently gives air supply a different sound like when at the beginning of All Out of Love for instance you go da, 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 the picking bit it's all backwards the arpeggio the arpeggio yeah. it, the arpeggiation is all backwards but it gives it that sound same on Lost in Love you know we're going to go back to the studio Todd we're going to take your 12 string we're, <laughs> we're not touching my 12 string yeah we're going to throw it back Todd's got a collection I'm going to have Hoffners and, and all this and the, as well. the beginning of Lost in Love is backwards too I mean a, a picker wouldn't pick it like that that they, they couldn't pick it like that. Da, 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 yeah. da. They would pick it differently. Their fingers would be differently, of course. But, he, he, but he gave me a different sound, which I wasn't aware of. But when you hear it, you go, oh, wow, that's kind of different. There's always been something about that, that that sort of stuck out, and I haven't analyzed it technically. I just sort of felt it, and okay, it feels something there. But you, now now I know. Yeah, it's very that makes sense. So I want to ask you, um, of all the people, I mean, obviously the accomplishments you've had for 40 years in the industry and meeting all the dignitaries, and mm. I heard one time that Princess Diana came up to you. Yeah. and said, um, you know, that where she really loved your music. Yeah, but, that was uh, a, in 1988. We were in, in Australia. We were, a, it was a command performance for the... Royal Command Performance. Yeah, for the Bicentennial. And we were in the line. There was lots of artists there, but she came up to Russell and myself, and she spent about five minutes with us talking. <laughs> and she said, yeah, I've got some of your albums, you know, really like it. And we went, oh, really? She, uh, the next day, uh, we were invited to lunch with, with her and... Uh, Prince Charles. Chuck, yeah. Yeah, right. So, I call him Chuck just because, you know, I can't. Because right. you can. Yeah, I'm Charles. I'm but Charles. that was one of, one of the highlights, certainly, you know. Anybody else that you grew up really idolizing that when you finally got to meet them, you're tongue-tied, you're just like, wow, I'm meeting Princess Diana. Uh, I get that way with everybody that, that, that is, like, one of my heroes. You still get star, starstruck? Yeah, I do, yeah. I, I just don't know what to say. When I first met Peter Gabriel, who was a hero of mine, uh, I just didn't know what to say, you know, and... He knew I was coming because we were kind of popular. It was like '85, mm. and and I just loved his music, you know. And I went backstage, and he came out, and I didn't say a word. I just stood there, like I said, "Well, I said, I said the show was amazing, you know." And he said, and I kind of felt awkward, you know. Anybody, and they were having, an, it was their last show, and they were having an end of tour party, and we were staying in the same hotel because we were playing the venue the next night, and he said. Uh, why don't you come to the party, you know? And it was in the top presidential suite of the hotel we were at. And I said, no, I can't, I couldn't do that because it, it's their it's their party, not mine, you know? Okay, and yeah. so I didn't go because it's not my thing. But I, I should have gone, and but I didn't, you know? But I, I would get very... Because I know I I uh, treasure my time, yeah. and I, I presume other artists treasure theirs too, you know? So, so following up on that... Has Air Supply ever trashed a hotel room? Oh no, never, no. We've always been, <laughs> we've always been pretty cool, you know. 
I mean, we have a uh, sparky eyes, though. No. <laughs> we we have a kind of a, a, a strict code on the road, I think, don't you? Yes. Yeah. We have a decorum of behavior that everybody uh, adheres to. You know, they have to. Um, so we don't really allow anything dodgy, you know. <laughs> I mean, every, I mean, I'm sure every artist is like that. You know, we leave on time, and it becomes a rhythmical. You know, we the sound check is a certain time, dinner's a certain time at night, and and it has to be that way. Otherwise, things start to fall apart, you know. Mm. But no, we don't. We haven't done anything like that. That's weird. I went to an after-show party last week with Steve Hackett, and uh, I was expecting a big, wild party, and Steve wandered out with a cup of tea and sat right. down and chatted with everybody, and I thought, wow, that's just so yeah. typically English, but also uh, sort of anti-after-party. Yeah, yeah. I think all the wildness, I don't know if that's still around anymore. You know, people are kind of mellow these days. Yeah, well, Keith Moon died, you know, in 1978. So, yeah, you know, right. Him, the, the legend kind of died with that. And yeah, you know, I just finished... Uh, well, about a year ago, I finished Pete Townsend's book, and oh. uh, uh, who I am. Yeah. And he, I mean, even he says now. I mean, he's he's older than I am now, but and Duff, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's and uh, yeah, hey, I'm I'm right behind him. And um, he said he's, he's everything's mellow now, you know, even with the Who. And, yeah. But then I guess if you're getting close to seventy, yeah. you don't want to be throwing TVs out of hotel room windows. <laughs> they've had a really good run doing that, you know. For, they had, like, yeah, they were the ones. Toilets Unless they have and, like yeah. a sponsor that you know, like Myoflex or something for uh, for a little yeah. after yeah. the show. I'd do it again if I could. 
Thank you for spending time with Chuck in his world of infinite mojo. If you'd like to get in touch with Chuck or Todd, the email address is feedback at radiothatdoesntsuck.com or call the feedback line 866-269-6155. 